At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open it with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, And while you're turning there, uh, let me just say um, how grateful I am to be with you guys. And uh, I'm grateful for two reasons. One, um, I'm always thankful when I get a chance to uh, engage a different part of our larger Woodside family. And so we love you guys. Uh, Plymouth, this was actually the first building I ever visited when I, and I came to uh, Farmington, or I came to uh, Woodside Bible Church. And I love your campus pastor and your whole team and staff, so it's just a joy for me to be with you. Uh, The second reason I'm thankful to be here is uh, this past week, we just did kids camp at our campus, and I spent the whole week teaching preschool through fifth graders, um, which was awesome, but I'm just grateful to see adult faces for the first time in a week, So, um, and I'm excited for uh, what we're going to dig into this morning. But what I want to do to just begin is I would like to read our passage for this morning and then just pray over our time again in the Lord's Word, and then we'll kind of jump in and, and kind of unpack some things from there. So we're in Isaiah chapter 40. This morning we'll be looking at verses 27 through 30. One. This is what the prophet Isaiah writes. He said, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me pray for us. Father, once again, we come to you grateful for your mercy to us, even as we've just declared and sang it together. Lord, we are thankful for the mercy of your word and that through it, you reveal more of who you are and what you have done in your great work of redemption and salvation. God, I pray as we come to it now and as we come to this passage in Isaiah, that you would use your word to encounter us, each one of us in this place. That having heard it, we would know you more in our mind, trust you more deeply in our hearts, and live for you more with our lives. For that to happen, Lord, that cannot happen just from my words, but we need the power of your spirit to work in us, to illuminate this text to us in such a way to form us and shape us as your people. So we invite you to do that now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you work to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately to the glory of the Father? And we ask all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Um, in the spring of 2019, uh, the Lord led me to quit my job. I don't say that 
uh, trivially, I was uh, pastoring at another church in another city and over several months had felt a stirring in my heart that I was supposed to uh, resign from my position and actually hand off the campus that I was leading um, to my worship leader. And so I spent some time praying and fasting and seeking wisdom on this, um, discerning if this was where the Lord was leading me and ultimately with my wife felt like it was. And so uh, I went to our senior pastor. It was a multi-site church similar to Woodside. I went to our senior pastor in that season. I said, I think the Lord's leading me out here and that um, my worship leader is supposed to take over for me. And, uh, and I was kind of expecting for him to say, okay, great, we'll move on. I would begin to see what the Lord had next for me. But his response was, well, actually, I'm getting ready to leave for a month. So I need you to just wait on this. And I thought, Oh, okay. Uh, And little unbeknownst to me, I would actually be and continue in that position for the next three months while he waited and discerned. And I found myself in this peculiar season, a season of waiting, where I felt like God was leading me from one place and moving me to a next, but I was just kind of stuck in the middle for a while. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a season of waiting. If you've ever found yourself in a place where you feel like you're waiting for God to do something, but it just doesn't feel like it's getting there very quick or in a hurry. And I remember in that season, I really struggled with what the Lord was doing in my life. I really struggled with where he was leading me and and what is all this. And what I realized is that seasons of waiting are actually pretty common, but pretty difficult for us in our journey of faith. Part of the reason seasons of waiting are really difficult is because we live in a culture and society of instant gratification. If there was any phrase that I could use to describe our culture when it comes to waiting, I think I'd probably use the line from Veruca Salt in the old Willy Wonka movie, don't care how, I want it now. That's how we approach everything, isn't it? We want everything as instantly and as quickly as we possibly can. From our food, to our internet, to our communication. I mean, how many of you, even this week, sent a text to a friend or, or someone you knew and they didn't respond back in 30 seconds and you immediately felt some level of anxiety? You're like, what's happening? Why aren't they talking? What's going on? Where are the little bubbles? Right? Like we, we naturally want what we want as quickly and as fast as possible. And when we find ourselves where we have to wait, we often struggle with that. That's not only true for us, just... In our everyday lives, that often, unfortunately, can also be true for us spiritually. Many times, the essence of our want-it-now culture permeates our understanding of discipleship and what it looks like to follow Jesus. We want instant spirituality. I want to grow now. I want all of God's gifts now. I want to love more, be more patient or more kind, or I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life now. And often, when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, seasons where things seem slow or challenging or hard, we want to get away from those as quickly as possible. We think they're wrong or they're, they're something off about us. What spiritual benefit could there possibly be in waiting. And if there is, would you even know what that might possibly look like? Or in our rush for instant now, do we often let those things pass by? 
What I learned through that season, but more importantly, through the word of God, is that when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, that God actually has work for us in that place that's important for our spiritual development and growth. The question I want to ask you today, if you're in a season of waiting or when you find yourself in that season of struggle and waiting, is how can you not just survive that season, but actually thrive in it? Actually engage it in such a way that it might deepen your faith and that God might use those seasons profoundly in your own growth and development to be the person that he desires for you to be. Well, in order to kind of dig into that thought or that concept, I want to look in a passage in the prophet Isaiah, the one I read for you before, where God deals with the nation of Israel when they're in a season of waiting. You could divide the book of Isaiah up into really two major parts. The first half of the book are words from the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel prior to their exile. They're words of challenge and caution, warning Israel that if they continue to live in a way of disobeying God's word, of being an unjust and unrighteous society, that God is going to bring his judgment upon them and take them out of their land and place them under the rule of another nation. Isaiah then, in the second half of the book, starting in chapter 40, where we find our passage today, then begins to write prophetic words of encouragement to the nation when that in fact happens. When God brings a judgment, they're brought in exile and sent away from their land and live apart from God's place. And he writes in the second half to encourage them, to let them know that God is still with them in that season of exile while they wait for God to fulfill his promise of bringing them back to the land. In fact, Isaiah 40 begins with the words, comfort, comfort my people. These are words that are meant to encourage the nation of Israel when they're in a season of waiting and struggle. Waiting often comes for us in seasons of distress. It often involves looking forward to something that's promised or a future that we desire, but we haven't gotten there yet. And in fact, it often comes when we feel like we're not moving there at all. That's often where the distress comes from. Maybe you can think of it like this. This is how I would help us to understand the idea of waiting and where Israel finds themselves. Imagine that you're driving your car and you come to a stoplight and there's no one around you. This is always my worst. This is like my biggest frustration, right? Like when you hit a stoplight and there's no other cars and you're like, what am I doing here? Like, why, why is this red? Right? You, you have a destination that you want to get to, that you were moving towards, but now you find yourself stopped not moving towards that destination. And that's often where the kind of distress for me comes. You're waiting, anticipating the freedom to move again and continue to move to where you ultimately want to be. Essentially, that's what waiting is. That's, that's where Israel finds themselves right now. If I were to give you kind of a, an unpacking of waiting and the concept that I want to pa- unpack from this passage, it's simply this, that waiting is being in a place you don't want to be, but not feeling like you're moving towards where you're supposed to be. That's where Israel is. Israel's in a place they don't want to be. They want to be back in the land, but they don't feel like God's actually moving in that way. They feel stuck, like stuck at a red light, not moving, stuck. 
and it begins to cause them distress. And out of that distress, if we're not careful, we can often move to a place that can be very unhealthy for us. And that's kind of where our passage picks up. Hear it again. In verse 27, the prophet Isaiah writes, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? What happens to Israel in the midst of the distress of their waiting is they begin in engaging the struggle of waiting to move to a place that's actually unhealthy in their own following of God. You might call that despair. Our passage begins really with Israel uttering a cry of despair against God for the place they find themselves in. The reason I uh, use the word despair here is that despair carries this idea of losing hope, losing the understanding that you're going to move forward. In fact, if you were to define that idea of despair, Oxford Dictionary defines it this way, it's a complete loss or absence of hope. Webster's would say it's to lose all hope or confidence. Notice the ideas of complete or all. It's the idea of getting to a point in your life where in the midst of the season of waiting, in the midst of the struggle, you feel like God has completely abandoned you and you're not moving forward whatsoever. Despair is where the place where the distress of waiting takes root and begins to form belief in us that brings accusation and claim against God. The struggle of waiting, when it begins to take root, moves us to the place of hopelessness. There's a difference between struggling in a season and being despairing in a season. Maybe, maybe, you've, been, uh, maybe you've had a hard time in a relationship. Have you ever had a struggle in a relationship? Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a close friend that you've had. You've gone through a season where things have hard. You're fighting. You're arguing. You have some sort of conflict or movement that kind of brings distance to you. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship like that where you've had a struggle. And I don't know if you've ever had the feeling in the midst of that struggle where you just think, this is never going to get better. This is never, like, I should just give up on this. This, is, this isn't going to go forward at all, right? That, that's the idea of despair. It's one thing to struggle, to say this relationship is hard. It's another thing to get to the point where you say, this isn't moving forward. This is done, right? To use my analogy of a stoplight, it'd be like if you pull up to a stoplight. I don't know if you've ever done this. I think I've done this a couple times where that red light is so long, at some point you just give up hope that it's going to turn green and you just put the car in park, Right? You're like, this is never going to change. I'm just stuck here. I can't run this red light because that's breaking. The so I'm just going to sit here. You just like put it in park. I'm just going to wait and see what happens, right? That's kind of the place Israel finds themselves. They're in exile and they've kind of gotten to this point where they're like, it's not going to get better. God's forgotten us. In fact, God doesn't even care about us. And they cry this cry of despair that Isaiah be begins to identify. Where does their despair come from? Right? What, what, what causes them to feel this way? Well, part of their despair comes from their belief. They've begun to believe something about God, and it results in this accusation. These verbs that are used right here at the beginning of the passage, why do you say and speak in the Hebrew are actually continuous verbs, which means they're ongoing action from Israel. They're constant cries. This isn't just, I feel this way. This is really hard. These are claims accusations against God that they keep making that says, you can't see us. And even if you could, you don't care about us. 
and it causes them to despair in the moment. Their eyes have turned from, themse- from God ultimately to themselves. Notice in their cry how often they use that possessive. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. In their struggle, they've moved to a place where their emphasis is no longer on God and who he is, but on their situation, their circumstances, and they can only focus on themselves. And this causes them to forget who God is. What's their claim? My way is hidden. God isn't powerful enough. He can't see me in the struggle that I'm in the midst of. Not only that, my justice, my way is disregarded. God isn't good. Oftentimes when we face seasons of distress, seasons of waiting and struggle in our life, this is often the feeling that most people have in that season. If God was powerful enough, he'd do something about this but he must not be because nothing's changing. And if God was actually good, he'd care about where I'm at. And what often moves us towards despair is the feelings of distress that take root in our heart and cause us to believe things about God that aren't true. This is where Israel finds themselves. Stuck, car in park, just sitting and waiting, giving up hope. But out of that, the prophet Isaiah then steps in to begin to challenge them in the midst of that season and really encourage them in the midst of the struggle. Even as he identifies the struggle of waiting and their movement for despair, he immediately begins to give them the remedy for what can take place in waiting that can cause us to not just survive it, but actually thrive within it. Look what he says in verse 28. Have you not known and have you not heard The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He provides for them in this moment the remedy for what can help them in the midst of the season that they find themselves in. And his remedy is simply this, to embrace the doctrine of God. When we use the word doctrine, we mean a truth or belief, something that we've learned Oftentimes it's used to describe the principles of Christian faith, what we know to be true about God from his word and what we know to be true about what he has done. And it is Isaiah's call in this passage to the nation of Israel and even to us in our own seasons of waiting to say, have you forgotten what you know? Don't you remember? Haven't you heard who God is? These were things that they had been taught, that they knew from the word of God, passed from generation to generation. But their focus had been lost off those things and turned inward on themselves. And so the prophet now speaks to draw their attention back, to say, remember that truth, remember that teaching, remember what you know about God. He reminds us that what's needed in situations of struggle, distress, where we move toward despair, is not just better feelings, but truer thinking. The remedy for seasons of despair begins with the mind, which ultimately then influences the heart and leads us towards what we need to believe. It's not that our emotions don't matter. Our emotions are an important part of who we are. It's not that we shut those off or turn those things down. But oftentimes when we're in seasons of despair, 
What causes that is a root of unbelief. And the remedy then is to go back and remind ourselves of what is true of God that then informs our belief. And that's what the prophet does to the nation. And he draws their attention in two ways to help provide for them a remedy in their situation. The first thing he does is he reminds them who God is. That the doctrine of God's attributes and his nature. I mean, he first reminds them, don't you remember? God is eternal. He's the everlasting God. He has been, is, and always will be. There is no point where God does not exist. He is the everlasting and eternal God. Not only that, he is the creator of all things. Everything we know in our lives and in our world, God has designed and is the creator of and is over. He reminds them that God is self-sustaining. God does not grow faint or weary. God is not dependent on someone else for his energy source. God does not have moments or times where he gets tired or sleepy. God is eternal and constant in his reality. Not only that, God is omniscient. His understanding is unsearchable. There is nothing that God does not know and that he is not sovereign over. What counters the claims of their accusation is first the reminder of who God is in his nature. Your way cannot be hidden from God. Why? Because God isn't like that. The view and transcendence of God rules out the belief that somehow God wouldn't know what situation they're in or that he doesn't know what's going on or that somehow he's limited in his sovereignty over the struggle of their situation. The place the prophet draws their mind back to is remember, God is eternal and God is sovereign. Therefore, if you find yourself in a season where it feels like he might have forgotten you, remember, that's not the case. Therefore, he must have some purpose, some work, something he is doing. That's not only true of the nation of Israel, that's true of your own life. There is not one moment, not one aspect, not one iota of your existence that God is not sovereign over and cannot bring his good purposes to pass in. Therefore, when you find yourself in a season of struggle... You cannot go back and say, well, God surely has forgotten me. No, that is not his nature. He is eternal and he is sovereign. He is over all and transcendent above all. He is not like us. But not only does he remind them of who God is, he reminds them of what God does. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Not only does he remind them of the doctrine of God's attributes, he then reminds them of the doctrine of God's self-giving love and provision. That the nature of God is such that he gives of himself. That's what we mean when we say God is love. That he gives of himself to his creation and provides what we do not have and cannot produce. That is his nature. To give. To provide for those who do not have what they need in the seasons of struggle that they might find themselves in. And so the remedy that the prophet provides for the nation in the midst of their struggle and in their struggle against despair is to come along and say, remind yourself of what's true of God. Remind yourself of who he is and what he has done. And anytime we're in seasons of despair or seasons of struggle or seasons of waiting, this is what we need as well to come back and remind ourselves 
of what God's word says about who he is and what he does. When you're tempted to despair, the remedy you need is to go back to the truth of God's power, the truth of his character, and the truth of his actions of love and self-giving. This is why the word of God is so important and powerful in seasons of struggle and seasons of waiting. And it's why we must preach the word of God to ourselves continually in those seasons. What keeps us from despair is preaching God's word to our own hearts and our own minds when we're tempted to turn from what we know is true. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a well-known preacher in the early 20th century in Britain. For many years, he practiced as a medical doctor before feeling the call to ministry, and then he ministered for a number of years at Westminster Chapel in, uh, in the middle of London. And Dr. Jones, uh, one, during his tenure as a pastor, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. He recognizes the tendency of our own hearts in seasons to move towards what he would characterize as spiritual depression or despair. And knowing kind of the reality of both the medical and physical science, but also even more importantly, the word of God, he wrote this book to help people engage those seasons. And I would highly recommend it if you're looking for a good book to kind of think through that reality. But in the middle of that book, he identifies often what's at the root of our experiences of spiritual depression and despair when we're in seasons of struggle or waiting. This is what he says at one point in the book. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it, he says. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What Dr. Jones means is we all have this tendency where we have thoughts and ideas and things that come to us that often in our lives we leave unquestioned or unchallenged. We face a hard moment and we think, ah, there's no way. God's given up on me. God's forgotten about me. We wake up in the morning, the first thought comes in our head, this day is going to be terrible. Or whatever. We constantly feel the bombardment from ourself, from our flesh, from the world, from the devil, ideas and challenges in our minds. And what he means is oftentimes we let those things happen or embrace them without ever thinking more about them or really talking to ourselves about what is true in light of them. That's why he goes on to say, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. The problem is Israel didn't do that. They had gotten to the point where they say, God doesn't care about me, God doesn't see me, and they left those things unchallenged. And what the prophet does is he comes along and he says, no, those things can't be true. Remember who God is. Remember what God does. When you're tempted to despair, you move into that same place. Well, God can't be both loving and good for this to happen in the world. And then we just leave it there. We don't do any further preaching, any further questioning, any further digging into our own lives or what God's word says. As if God doesn't have answers. We've we've been in this whole crazy season 
in the church since COVID of massive deconstruction. And what bothers me the most is not that people are deconstructing. I get that. There's people that go through that seasons. We all go through partial seasons of that. What bothers me is that people are raising questions and acting like there isn't 2,000 years of Christian thought and study that actually has answers to those questions. As if somehow God hasn't spoken or is silent or Christians have never had this thought before. And what they failed to do in that moment is to go to God's word and say, oh, God does speak. This is who he is. This is what he says. And so if you're in a season of deconstruction, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just saying, don't act like God hasn't spoken. Maybe you're just not quite ready to hear what he has to say. And that's okay. That's why there's waiting and patience. But often what we need is to remind ourselves of what God's word says. That's the remedy. And as we do that, it roots in us the promise of God to help us in that season. And that's where the prophet moves next. As he reminds them of the truths of God, he then moves to give them, here's the promise. Here's actually what you can look for in seasons of waiting that will help you in your life. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. So the first thing he reminds them is, listen, if you're going to experience what God has for you in a season of waiting, the first thing you need to remember is you don't have the strength to endure that season on your own. Don't go looking to your own resources to find what God has for you in the season of struggle. Because that's our tendency, right? That's our, that's our cultural tendency. When we're in struggle or despair, it's like, you can do it. That's a lie from Nike and our culture. Right, like you've got the strength, you've got the energy, you've got what's inside you to make this happen. And what the prophet says is, no, you don't. His, his point here of even youths and young men, he's highlighting in their culture, their picture of what the most physically resourced people are. Right, that, that's the image. So when, when you hear young men or youth, I mean, think your best athletes, Right? Think, think LeBron James or Alex Morgan or Serena Williams or Tom Brady or like think your top athletes. And he essentially says, even those guys fail. Even they don't have the internal resources to last. And they face external pressure that causes them to run out of energy to experience the durability necessary to get through, not just get through, but actually thrive in seasons of challenge. At some point, the ability to receive what God has for you and the good news that he has for you in any season of waiting only comes in the recognition of your own inadequacy to endure that season. Once you realize that, then you can receive the promise of durability that God has for you. And that's what comes in verse 31. So they fall faint and exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. There's the promise. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. The promise comes in this call to wait. This word wait that we see in this verse, it's the Hebrew word kava. And it, it carries the idea, um, not, not of passive, passivity, it, it carries the idea of hope. One, one Bible dictionary def defines that word this way. It says that it's depending on and ordering activities around a future event. That's what they mean by wait. It's not just like, 
Oh, I sit past. It's actually ordering and doing something in the present and anticipation of what's to come. So if despair is you get to the stoplight and you put the car in park, hope is when you sit at the stoplight kind of letting off the brake a little bit, just waiting, like it's going to turn green, it's going to turn green, it's going to turn green, right? Like it's living in anticipation and saying, this is going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to order my life. I'm going to do things. I'm going to actively pursue what I know is ultimately going to come. And so to wait on the Lord is living in anticipation of what he's promised ultimately to do. For Israel, that's the promise that he's going to bring them out of Israel, out of exile back to the land, which he does. For you and I, it's the promise that God is ultimately going to return one day, in Christ is going to return to fulfill his promise, to deal with sin and death once and for all, to restore creation to God's original intent and bring about a new heaven and new earth and establish his kingdom fully and finally. And so the call then is to trust in God in such a way that we actually order our lives around his future promise. It's not passive, it's active. That's the idea. Waiting isn't just, we'll see what happens. Hope he does it. It's I'm gonna order my life in anticipation of God's eternal kingdom to come. And what he says is, as you do that, even in the season of struggle, God provides for you what you do not have. He says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now that Hebrew word, halaf, carries this idea of to change or exchange. That's the idea in the word renew. You could think of it even as like the same idea of like to change one's clothes or to exchange old clothes for new clothes. And in some ways, that idea of renew is this idea that those who wait on the Lord shall exchange their strength They'll get from God the strength they need and the weakness that they have will be returned to him. So that as you trust God, as you order your life, God will give you what you do not have but what you desperately need. And you will give back to him what you do not want. Those who wait, who trust and order around their lives around God in the midst of trial, temptation, suffering, waiting, will experience an exchange of strength. I mean, isn't that the heart of the gospel? The good news of Jesus is that God, in his grace, offers us the most incredible eternal exchange. That he would take from us our sin and guilt and shame and brokenness and weakness. And instead provide for us the righteousness that we so desperately need. That's why Paul would write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. When you trust in Jesus and you believe that he is Lord, that he has died for your sins and that he has risen from the dead, what happens is God takes all your mess and he puts it on Jesus. And Jesus dies for it to pay the penalty of death that you should have. And then he gives you Christ's righteousness, his perfect obedience to cover you. What an incredible truth that you get what you don't deserve and Christ gets what he doesn't deserve. But at the end of the day, it saves you. And God, out of his self-giving love, rescues those that would put their faith in Jesus. And part of that exchange is an exchange of strength. 
that you are not brought, brought into Christ. You're given the Holy Spirit. You're given a resource for the seasons of struggle that you find yourself in. That's why Paul would write verses like to the Philippian church when he's dealing with the issue of contentment and living in seasons of struggle. He would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that's not a verse about dunking a basketball, right? Like that, that's not for like an athlete's shoes. The context of that verse is Paul recognizing that there are seasons in which it, we live with contentment even when things are really hard. And what he says is, I can do all that because I have Jesus. And Jesus now gives me the strength I need to endure that season. You see, the truth of the gospel is that the strength we need for life is not found in our effort, our achievement, our work. It's found in our surrender where we trust Christ and order our lives around him. And when we do that, God gives us the strength. That's why I love the image that the prophet uses here. So as he gives us this promise, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And he says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. I'm not sure there's a better image for the promise that he's expounding on than the eagle's wings that he uses in this. I don't know if you know much about eagle's wings, but eagles actually have very large wings and they're very heavy. They take a lot of energy to flap in order for an eagle to fly. Because of that, eagles are actually masters at soaring. One of the things about eagles is they reach some of the highest heights of any bird. But the way that, I mean, some eagles can fly up to 10,000 feet, which is crazy. But the way that they reach those incredible heights is that they do not fly on their own strength, but they've actually mastered the art of soaring on the wind. So eagles use their wings and they've mastered the ability to catch wind currents in their wings so that they reach these heights not by their own power, but by utilizing the power of the wind. In many ways, that's the image for us. We achieve the ability to, and durability for seasons of struggle and waiting, not in our own strength, but learning to live in Christ's strength, learning to appropriate his reality into our lives. We soar on the power of the Spirit, similar to the way an eagle soars on the power of the wind. But what's also fascinating about eagles is it's said that often eagles can reach some of their highest heights and fastest speeds when storms come. That storms often bring with them thermal drafts that are able to lift eagles even higher than they normally fly. Thus, when a storm comes, eagles actually have the ability to fly higher and faster than at other points on normal winds. When you learn to live in the promise of God to wait on him, and you learn to have your wings fly on the wind of the Spirit, then the storms of your life oftentimes can be the place where God can do some of his deepest work in growing you to be more like Jesus. It doesn't necessarily make those times all easy, happy, dory, oh, everything's great. But as we grow in our faith and as we learn to wait on the Lord, oftentimes the struggle of waiting can be the times where we learn our greatest dependence on God. That's what I experienced in that own, my own season. It was hard. I didn't know where God was leading me or what he was doing. But as I learned to wait on him, what I found is it didn't matter and my prayer became in that season, God, I don't care where you lead me, just as long as you're with me. Now, ultimately, he led me to Woodside. Praise the Lord. 
But what I learned was my heart and goal was intimacy with the Lord and closeness with him. And God grew me in that season and he can grow you in the season that you're facing as well. What if the season of struggle and waiting that you're facing right now is actually the season where God wants to grow you the most? Where he wants you to learn to live on his strength and not yours. And as you do that, man, you'll be able to face any external pressure. That's why he says, you're going to run and not be weary. You'll have the internal resources, not from yourself, but from him to not faint, but to continue on. So where in your life are you realizing that either the outside pressure or your internal resources just aren't adequate? What the gospel invites you to do is to come back and turn from yourself and wait on the Lord, to trust in him. And as you do that, you'll find new daily strength to walk through life. You'll find the durability that your heart looks for. And so the invitation today for you, whatever season you are in, whether you're in a season of waiting, whether you will be in a season of waiting, is to come back to that simple place of trusting the Lord and ordering your life around him. That's why the author of Hebrews would say, we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. May you live with faith and patience as you wait to inherit the promises of God. And may he exchange your weakness for his strength. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.